Most of these are regrets based on actions not taken, or it's 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 rather inaction. Other than uh, except for the moral one, which is seems yeah. like though that's the one where you did something, but it's something you regret. Yeah, doing. yeah, that's a great point. I mean, what you see in my research and other research is that regrets of inaction outnumber regrets of action by a pretty wide margin, especially as people get older. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, sometimes the border is sometimes the border is murky between action and, and inaction. So you know, How do, do you I mean? regret? Well, you can say, do I regret? Um, you know, if you regret spending too much, that's an action, but it's really an inaction because you weren't saving. Um, you know, so you know, again, I don't want to get, I don't want to get overly complex here, but but you, but you're right. It's it, you're, you're absolutely right, Sean. It's it's inactions outnumber actions by a wide margin. Well, again, uh, so, so Daniel, congrats on the book launch. I'm really excited to have you on here. Maybe, you know, obviously you've written so many different books, but this one is around uh, regret, which is not really something that I've heard a lot of people talk about, um, particularly at the scale that you have. Maybe a good place to start is to define regret for people and, and really compare how that compares to some of the other emotions we feel like disappointment. Okay, good question. So, um, so first of all, regret is an emotion, as you say, Sean. It it's a, and it's a it's a negative emotion. It's an aversive emotion. It's an emotion that makes us feel bad, not like joy. That makes us feel good. Regret makes us feel bad, um, and it requires a great deal of cognitive dexterity. So, because if you think about what regret is, regret is we we look backward. And we say, if only I hadn't made that decision, or if I had made that decision, if I hadn't taken that action, I had made that action, um, things would be a lot better today. So it involves time travel, it involves retelling the stories of our life, it involves coming back to the present. So it's, it's, it's actually pretty cognitively sophisticated. But the gist of it is, is that it is a, an emotion that makes us feel bad when we look back on our past and wish we had done things differently. Um, now, on the question of disappointments, good question. Um, Regret is not disappointment. And the big difference between regret and disappointment is agency. Regret is your fault. Uh, a good example of that comes from Janet Landman, of the, formerly of the University of Michigan, who says that she tells a story of a six-year-old girl who loses a tooth. She takes her tooth at night, puts it under her pillow, waiting for the tooth fairy to come. The next morning, she pulls back her pillow. The tooth is still there. She's disappointed but her parents regret not replacing the tooth with a dollar bill because the parents had volition, the parents had the agency there. Or another one would be, um, let's say it's not raining today here in Washington DC where I am, but if it were raining, I could say something, I couldn't regret that it's raining. I don't have any control over that, but I could regret that if I, that if I looked at the weather forecast, knew it was gonna rain and didn't bring an umbrella, that's on me. Mm. Right. Got it. Got it. So it's your own responsibility, um, right. which is probably even harder, right? Because it's out of your control. So it's something you could have done, but you decided That's not why it's to. painful. Right. Right. It's harder to yeah. dismiss. Yeah. And at the same time, it, it seems like the Western culture that we live in today comes from really promoting this idea of like not having regrets. 
in oh, life. Yeah. It's almost, I don't know if it's an American. I grew up in Korea for kind of like for seven, eight years and even with Korean parents and doesn't seem like it's as present there. Uh, there there's, there's something around like this relationship uh, between almost like Epicurean and kind of this YOLO culture that has been fostered in pop culture that doesn't try to promote like talking about regrets and living a regretless life. What are your thoughts around that? And I, I think that some of it is American, but it has seeped into the rest of the world. Um, that, that what we have is we have this belief that we should be positive all the time, that we should never look back, that regret is something that makes us weak. And those are that's, those are fundamentally wrong. They're not wrong philosophically. They're not wrong morally. They're wrong as a matter of science. We have 50 years of science telling us that regret is one of the most common emotions that, that people experience, that everybody has regrets. If you don't have regrets, it probably means that you're a little kid, you have a brain disorder, or you're a sociopath. Otherwise, you certainly have regrets. And that if we treat them right, regrets can make us better. And yet, somehow, we've been sold this bill of goods saying that negative emotions are inherently dangerous. Negative emotions should be ignored, batted away, disregarded. And particularly, this emotion of regret is is dangerous and so i'm gonna i never so you, we sort of proclaim courage by saying i never look backward i don't have any regrets and that's fake it's it's fake courage and it's and it's prevalent though as you say i got people in the book as you know who have no regrets tattoos that's a pretty strong commitment to a belief system to print it permanently on your body yeah i mean it is a painful thought to go back towards uh that combination of something that you could have controlled and a lot of these things, I mean, sometimes regrets are some events that you can't change back, right? Some, some maybe it's someone yeah. that you forgot to say goodbye to and yeah. they passed away. And right. that's really one of the most powerful parts is, is that you can't undo those regrets. There's some regrets you can undo and some regrets you can't undo, but that's right. So there's certain, so let's say that you, you wanted to reach out. I have somebody who I write about who wanted to reach out to a friend who was suffering from cancer. She put it off. She put it off. She put it off. When she finally called her friend, had died earlier that morning. All right. So that's bad. Uh, and that's a, that door has closed. So you can't do anything about that particular regret, but you can, you can derive a lesson from it for your future behavior. And that's the key. Mm -hmm. Now, there are other kinds of regrets. I have a lot of people who regret bullying kids in school. Several of them have gone back to the people they bullied and apologized, and asked for forgiveness. And so that's a so so some regrets you can undo, others others you other others you can. But every kind of regret, whether it's one you can undo or whether you can undo, you can extract a lesson from to guide your future behavior. Got it. I mean, is the idea of confronting our regrets kind of similar to what Carl Jung talks about in terms of shadow work, where like if you don't embrace the entirety of your being, like it's hard to live that fulfilling full life because you're running away from your shadows um it's kind of embracing that dark side that people are so afraid to to embrace i guess right yeah i mean i actually think there's a there's a there's an even more i think there's a sort of a, a more um stark way to put it which is that negative emotions including our most common negative emotion regret it exists for a reason. It confers an evolutionary advantage. I don't think we need to. I don't think we need to go as far as the Jungian shadow self theory. I think we can go to. I think we can bring in, you know, someone who came in a little bit before Jung, which is, you know, several decades before Jung, which is Carl Dar Charles Darwin, 
I mean, negative emotions are negative emotions are adaptive. Why do we have fear? You know, it, because the people who couldn't experience fear died and didn't pass their genes on in the in the you know into the population. I mean, imagine if you imagine if you just if you were a person who could not experience any kind of fear. Or I don't mean you, Sean, but let's say I were a person who could never experience fear. Oh, let me cross the street against traffic. I don't have any fear about that. Okay, you're a dead man. All right. Mm. Think about something like think about something like grief. Why do human beings grieve? Imagine if you could wave a magic wand and extinguish everybody's the feeling of grief from the from humankind. I think that's a colossally bad idea because the reason we grieve is because is because we love. And so, um, oh, my, you know, my, uh, my, uh, my, my father just died. Oh, who cares? Doesn't matter. I don't experience grief. That's terrible, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you don't, we don't want to live that way. And so negative emotions are adaptive, including our most common negative emotion, regret. I, I think that's a simpler explanation of it. Yeah. Well, was that I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that, 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 that Jung is, is necessarily wrong. I think it's an interesting analysis you're making. Uh, what I'm saying is that, we can make a, we can have a much more parsimonious explanation by even forgetting about Jung and just sticking with evolution. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, sees more first principles for sure. Yeah. Um, in terms of, I, I guess, how you, what was the origin of writing about regret? I mean, you've written about timing, you've written about motivation. Um, what was like kind of the premise of, of writing about regret? Was this something that you personally dealt with? Yeah. That, You've healed, and that's was the origin. Well, of that? I don't know if I healed, but I mean, it was something that I was. It was something that I was dealing with, something that I was turning over in my head, and that I found when I talked to other people about it was much more um, compelling to them than I would have expected. And mm. uh, it's also, I think, it's also partly a time of life thing that that I think I sort of spend more time reckoning with my regrets now at my age than I did say twenty five years ago where I didn't have as much mileage on me, I didn't have as much experience. And and yet I also have, at least I hope, plenty of mileage ahead of me. And so I wanna know how to use what happened in the past to guide what's, what, what I'm gonna be able to do in the future. Got it, got it, got it. Hmm. Yeah, it, it, the other thing with the regret that I found is if you don't embrace it, there's either subconsciously or unconsciously, it brings out a lot of the bad emotions in you, which is envy, jealousy, that you see in other people. So let's say oh, you didn't start yeah. a, a business uh, and you purposely decided not to. So that's a regret because you could have done it. You could have left that job that was stable and gone out to venture into your own startup. And now you see close friends of yours or other people that have succeeded or are in the process of pursuing. And instead of feeling happy for them, you're not only just hurting yourself, but you're also hurting other relationships or people around you because they're embracing or they're shining that light that you could have been right so right. you kind of almost want to run away from that potential that you could have achieved uh, is there some form of that at least with regret as well it's not just could about be. you but yeah could be could be i mean i think there's probably there's comparative aspects of everything and you know we can go back to darwin again and talk about and talk about envy i mean what does envy exist i mean envy can be destructive but Envy also is revealing. If you feel envy, you have to say toward. If, if one feels envy towards some towards somebody else's situation, you, it's, it's a signal of maybe what you care about. Um, mm. And it, or you know, it could be a positive or a negative symbol uh, of what you care about. And so, um, um, you know, envy has envy is envy is a is a is a is a less functional emotion, but 
it's not devoid of function at all. It has some it has some use to it. But I think you make an interesting point. I mean, what we do when we when we regret is we compare what our current state to what we could have been. And one way we evaluate what, what could have been is by looking at our peers and other people around us. Right. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that really caught my eyes is the survey that you've done of people around the world, uh, 15,000 people, 105 countries, uh, really talking about the four core regrets. Can we just go over this real quick and sure. go through these? Sure. And we're now, uh, that, that survey is still up. It's worldregretsurvey.com. We're over 19,000 now in 109 countries. It's unbelievable. And what Amazing. I found is around the world, people ended up having the same four core regrets. So one was foundation regrets, which are, if only I'd done the work, these are people who regret um, smoking, uh, people who regret not saving money, people who regret uh, bad health choices, not working hard enough in school, small choices, decisions early that accumulate into negative consequences later on. Second category are boldness regrets. Boldness regrets are if only I'd taken the chance. These are people who regret not asking someone out on a date, not traveling, not speaking up, not asserting oneself, not starting a business, as you were saying before. Third category are moral regrets. These are if only I'd done the right thing. These are people who regret bullying other people, people who regret uh, infidelity. Uh, fourth category is connection regrets, which are about relationships that have come apart, um, usually in slow, undramatic ways. People want to reach out, they don't reach out. And sometimes, as you were saying before, it's too late. And that's um, connection regrets are if only I'd reached out. And so around the world with remarkable consistency, this is these are the things that people regret. Yeah, well, one of the interesting things that, uh, at least maybe just by the examples that you brought up, is that most of these are regrets based on actions not taken, or it's, it's, it's rather inaction, other than, uh, except for the moral one, which is, seems yeah. like the, that's the one where you did something, but it's something you regret yeah, doing. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, what you see in my research and in other research is that regrets of inaction outnumber regrets of action by a pretty wide margin, especially as people get older. And, um, you know, and sometimes the border is sometimes the border is murky between action and, and inaction. So, you know, How do, do I mean? regret? Well, you can say, do I regret, um, you know, if you regret spending too much, that's an action, but it's really an inaction because you weren't saving. Um, you know, so, you know, again, I don't want to get I don't want to get overly complex here, but 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 you're right. It's it, you're, you're absolutely right, Sean. It's it's inactions outnumber actions by a wide margin, and moral regrets tend to be many more actions than 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 inactions. Whereas boldness regrets are almost always inactions. Um, connection regrets are often inactions. Um, foundation regrets are, I would say, mostly inactions. A few actions. Yeah. Well, just to kind of go back on that point around action, would an action be generally the positive goal that you're trying to head towards. So most people would, I mean, I'm assuming most people would want to have more money versus not have money. So the action that they should have taken is either investing or saving. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, again, I mean, typically what it is, is that people have a re an action regret would be I hurt some, I bullied somebody 10 years ago, and I regret doing that. Um, right. um, I, um, I, in, I, I, um, uh, I, I spent money on a piece of clothing that I only wore once and no longer care about. All right, and inaction regret is, oh, there was somebody I was really interested in 10 years ago and I never asked him or her out on a date. That's an inaction. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to start a business, but I was too chicken to do it. 
that's an inaction. Um, I wanted to reach out to my old friend and then when, when he was sick, but uh, I waited and waited and waited and then it was too late. That's an inaction. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we go into kind of digging deeper into the personal regrets and how to how to process that for people, what are some of the, I guess I'm curious to know, like, do regrets differ for people that are close to the end of their lives versus those who are still young? Young meaning probably. Well, I mean, there's the age effect is action versus inaction. I mean, I, I'm skeptical about end of life regrets. I mean, I don't think there's, I don't think anybody's ever systematically collected them. Um, and, you know, if you're, you know, if the first time you're reckoning with your regrets are in the final hours of your life, they're not going to be that useful to you. Um, so I'd rather have people, I'd rather have people confront them earlier. Yeah. There's something about, I mean, I've seen a bunch of viral videos go around. There's something that people are curious around where they want advice from people that are at the final days. Yeah, months, no, that makes perfect years sense. Yeah. Of, their, of their lives. Yeah. But I guess from a practical perspective, utility perspective, it's, it's kind of, it is kind of useless. So you're trying to get people to face this earlier on. As yeah, much absolutely. As absolutely. Absolutely. And believe me, I mean, here's the thing. People who are dying are not the only people with regrets. Everybody has regrets and we can learn from everybody's regrets, not just that tiny sliver of people who are drawing their last breaths. Yeah. What are some of the patterns you've seen from the 19,000 people? Is there a certain, no matter what country, no matter what gender, no matter what social class that they may be in is there certain things that have come up over and over again well i mean these are the, the four core regrets are the ones that come up over and over again um mm -hmm. and there is remark and there's very little national difference to my surprise there's very interesting there's very little national difference and i also did another piece of research a quantitative survey public opinion poll in the u.s population where we sampled enough people so that we could weight the sample to you know, see what kind of demographic differences there were based on gender and race and so forth. And they were very small. Yeah. Um, another thing that I'm curious about is, do certain regrets affect us differently if there are certain things under our control that we could still remedy versus those opportunities that are gone and something that we can't face um, moving forward? Yeah, I mean, because again, like, like that's the difference between an open door regret and a closed door regret. Like, like if, like, let's say that we, let's say that we, we wanted to reach out to a friend and that friend died. That's yeah. clo that door is closed. All you can do, you can't do anything about that. That's going to hurt a lot. And all you can do then is is extract a lesson from that regret to to go forward. If you have a friend who you haven't reached out to, and that person's still alive, reach out now. You can do something about it and extinguish that regret. Yeah, I guess there there's something about that time has passed by and there's not there's there's something that's out of your control that almost for me at least would make it feel a little bit easier because it's just something that's outside of your control what do you mean give me an, give me an example yeah it's just one of those things where it, the common saying is like oh okay, i guess it was meant to be right so mm. maybe an opportunity passes by a job opportunity is no longer open and uh -huh. you process it in your mind maybe out of protection uh, of not hurting yourself to just say, you know what, I let's just what move saying. on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean that that can be that can be a form of rationalization, which is not always a bad thing. Um, and, but I mean, you can also do it too much, where it becomes a a delusion, uh, a yeah. negative, you know, a negative delusion. The other thing that people will do sometimes is they will take some of the sting out of a regret by 
offering a different form of counterfactual thinking than regret. Regret is an upward counterfactual. You imagine how things could have been better. You can also do a downward counterfactual. Imagine how things could have turned out worse. That's an at least. The upward is an if only, downward is an at least. And you can say, you know, I have people in this database who say, a lot of them who say, mostly women who say, I shouldn't have married that idiot, but at least I have these two great kids. You know, um, and so that's a way to take some of the sting out of it. It doesn't say that you can't still learn from that, but it's a way to make it feel a little less bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, have there been people that you've gone through or just spoken with that have had difficulties trying to spark or present their regrets on the surface because maybe they've hidden it for so long or maybe there are people that have gone through life without regrets because they truly believe that everything happens for a reason and so forth. Um, for those people, knowing that we can use regret for a positive force, what are some of the questions or processes that they should ask themselves to kind of surface these regrets that they may have had throughout their lives? Well, I mean, it's, it's an interesting question. I, I found people actually not struggling too, too, too much with that. Um, in in mm -hmm. fact, almost in a comical way where like in the world regret survey, <clears throat> when I ask people their regrets, I would have people fill it out saying, I don't have any regrets. But 10 years ago, I stole money from the church plate and I really feel bad about doing that, but I don't have any regrets. You know, uh, so they don't um, title it as regret. It's exactly, like just, exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. They I describe see. it, but don't use the R word. So you have, the R word, so, yeah. so you have, you have, excuse me. <clears throat> so you have, you have some, you have, you have some of that. Um, you know, I think a, I, I think a, a starting point is, is just to begin very small. And so to ask yourself, you know, um, you know, write down one instance where you look back on your life and wish you had done something differently. And that's it. Um, and just start, you know, I, I don't I don't suggest that people begin by saying, OK, list your 12 biggest regrets. I just say, like, tell me about one time uh, where you look back on your life and wish you had done something differently. Yeah. Yeah. So now now that oh, hopefully people have identified some of the regrets that they have, I mean, what, what are some of the research or, or things that have sparked you to make people go deeper into going around their regrets and remembering their regrets? Like what are some of the positive benefits from that? Well, I mean, what it does is we, if we reckon with our regrets, um, you know, if we confront them rather than ignore them or wallow in them, there's a whole array of benefits. It can help us make better, help us become better negotiators, help us avoid be cognitive biases, help us become better problem solvers, help us become better strategists, better parents, find more meaning in life. Uh, the trouble is that we haven't give people we haven't given people very good instruction on how to deal with their regrets. So most of them are left floundering. Right, right. So how do people now that they have identified the regrets? What what are some of the processes that they can go through? Well, I I tend to look at it in three stages: inward, outward, forward. Inward, outward, forward. So inward is you have to reframe how you look at the regret and yourself. So you can instead of lacerating yourself you can treat yourself with kindness rather than contempt recognize that your regrets are part of the human condition so that's a good first step um, a lot of times we're too tough on ourselves we talk to ourselves in ways that are really just brutal so don't do that treat yourself with what's called self-compassion second step outward is as we we're talking about sort or hinting at at least before uh, there's a strong case to be made for disclosing your regret 
Uh, that's a great unburdening for people. Um, it actually can build affinity with other people, believe it or not, because people think more of you when you disclose your vulnerabilities. The other thing about disclosure is that when we convert our regrets into language, that makes them less menacing. Um, just like like just like naming an emotion makes it less menacing. Describing what what's going on actually converts this blobby amorphous emotion into concrete words, which are less fearsome. And then finally, is you want to extract a lesson from it. And the way to do that is you need to get some distance from it. You want to self-distance. And so you can do that by talking to yourself in the third person, by imagining what your, um, you know, if you're in a business setting, what your successor would do, um, by asking yourself, what would you tell your best friend to do? Yeah, that third person speech is very useful for sure. Because I think yeah. so many people are in their own heads. And yeah, in, it's a little weird, but it's useful. Yeah. How, how would you like how do you go about it for yourself like what, what what would be like an example of how you would talk to yourself in third person around that oh i mean i i, I mean sometimes I, i'm not not so much for for regret but in general like like if i'm exercising instead of saying you know i can do this i say dan let's go move your legs faster dan kick your mm. kick a little harder dan you know you've done this before you can make it to the end of this race Got it. Got it. And I guess even advice, like if you're at a pivotal point of what decision you should make around certain certain things around your career, instead of looking at it from that first point of view, it's like, look at it from if someone was to be your advisor or your exactly. mentor. I mean, just on that case and that situation, ask yourself, what would I tell my best friend to do? The single best decision-making tool that I know. Ask yourself, what would I tell my best friend to do? When you when people come to me with problems, they say, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm trying to make this choice. I'm not sure what's going on. I don't know what I should do. I'm so stuck. I say, well, what do you what would you tell your best friend to do? And they say, oh, I tell her to do. And I'm like, OK, I think you've answered the question. Right, right, right. Um, you also mentioned self-compassion. That's something that I currently struggle with. And it's partly just because the way I was raised with very, you know, Tiger Asian parents where they're super strict and disciplined around what I should do, what I should not do. Um, and there are benefits around that. I feel like it's been attributed around like conscientiousness and getting discipline, even if it doesn't feel good, kind of the results have shown um, to kind of flywheel that experience. I mean, wh what have you learned about self-compassion through research and is there any faults to thinking that just being super hard on yourself is going to produce better results? Well, I mean, what's wrong with it is that self self-criticism feels virtuous, but there's little evidence that it's effective. Very little evidence that it's effective. Um, mm -hmm. um, at the same point, um, you know, I think some cultures are, are over-indexed on self-esteem. Um, there's some evidence that that can be slightly effective, but it's way overrated. Um, and here's the thing on, on self-compassion, the reason to choose self-compassion over self-criticism is not because it's nicer, but because it's more effective. So I don't buy for a moment that self-compassion is incompatible with conscientiousness. I don't think self-compassion is incompatible with discipline. I think it's a kind of a discipline. I think at some level, self-criticism is lazy because it's so easy to do. I think self-compassion self requires greater discipline, it requires greater focus requires more supple and, and complex kind of, of thinking. Um, and I, I think that, that, that self-compassion is, is, and there's 20 years of research on this. Um, self-compassion does not foster complacency. It does not foster lack of conscientiousness. It does not erode discipline, on the contrary. And I, maybe there's like this fine line, like if you were to define 
self-compassion or even provide an, an example, like what would that look like? Because I'm looking at the person that yeah. is complacent where they could run extra miles or they could go to the gym, but they are saying, no, I love my body. This is how I, this is how, you know, I was born. This is what I'm supposed to feel like. Um, I don't go on, I don't want to go to the gym because, you know, I'm just super comfortable with my body. So they're not pushing themselves or having the higher standard. Whereas if I were thinking about myself, you know, this is, there's a little bit of dark side there for sure, but it helps me get to the gym, helps me get results. Like what is that fine line? Well, I mean, I think that you can, I think that self-compassion can help you get to your gym. So are you treating yourself with, with the proper kindness? by not pushing yourself? Are you treating yourself with, with, with enough kindness by not allowing yourself to be your very best? Uh, that, that, that self-compassion isn't an excuse for inaction or complacency. It's, it's basically treating yourself with the same kindness that you would treat somebody else. And so I would encourage other people to be conscientious because I think it's the right thing to do and I think it, that itself is kind. Uh, so I should treat my, so, so self-compassion is not an excuse for letting yourself off the hook. It's just, it's a way to treat yourself with the same care and generosity that you would treat somebody else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could see it particularly being useful if you were ever in uh, a pattern of hitting all of your goals and you've got that momentum. A lot of the times when someone gets off the track, they leverage self-hatred, which is kind of comes <laughs> natural to them. And, mm -hmm. and they go deeper into this negative hole, like, oh man, like you suck. This is like... You know, you're not living to your potential and then that leads you to do less things and you go into this negative spiral where, whereas I guess self-compassion is the benefit of that is like, you know what, you, this happens to everyone. Like, I mean, I would encourage you and your listeners, like just Google, uh, go to Kristen Neff's or go to, there's a page, there are a couple pages in my book where I write about some of the research on this. It's pretty, it's pretty impressive what the, the benefits of self-compassion. And again, you know, it might be suffering from a branding problem because it sounds a little gooey. Um, and I think some of us would like something that sounds a little bit more hard-headed, but the idea of treating yourself with the same kindness and generosity you would treat somebody else, the idea that recognizing that your missteps are part of the human experience, the idea of not taking mistakes as the full definition of your life, but as part of your life, um, is psychologically healthy and, per in my mind, absolutely compatible with conscientiousness and discipline. Got it, got it. Um, speaking about like habit building and building systems, I think one of the, I mean, what you're mentioning around churning regrets from what has some form of negative connotation to something that could be a positive force for helping us reduce future, you know, problems that are in our lives is very powerful. Um, but I guess I don't want someone to make this a one-time event and set it and forget it. Meaning they write down some of the goals or regrets they may have had yeah. this year how can we, because obviously it's human nature for us to have regrets in the future, probably regrets today, tomorrow. Um, so how do we create a system or process for people to be able to go through this on a regular basis so that it becomes part of their lifestyle habits? Is this something yeah. you do weekly, monthly? I don't think you should do it weekly. I don't, I, you know, I think that I, I'm a big believer and I'm a big believer in, in starting small. So, you know, uh, think about one regret that you have and write about it for three consecutive days for 15 minutes. Uh, that's a that's a great way to make that's a great way to um, to make sense of it. And then um, you know write down uh, what you learned from that regret and what you're going to do next time and make a public commitment to that. Post it on social media. Tell one of your friends. I think that's the simplest thing to do. And then if that works well, maybe try it again the following month. Um, 
that's that's one thing. The, another thing that I like, another tool that I like is the failure resume, where you list all of your, you basically do an inverse resume. Instead of listing all your accomplishments, you list all your screw-ups and your failures and your flubs. You put that in one column. In the next column, you list what lesson did you learn from it. And in the third column, you list what you're going to do next time. Uh, I think that's a really helpful practice to do you know, once a year. Uh, you can also do, uh, I like this practice too, of, of regret circles, where you gather with, say, four or five other people, and each person shares a, one regret. Again, just start with one. Uh, then talks about what lesson he or she has learned from it. But then you do the self-distancing, and the other four or five people say, okay, here's what I think you should do next. And you have to listen to that advice. Um, and so that's a way to normalize these regrets. It's a way to, to draw lessons from. So there are all kinds of, of small practices that people can do to yeah. to learn from these things. I, I have a feeling that if someone is around other people, even if they trust them, it might present different types of regrets that they're comfortable sharing versus what they <laughs> would share in their journal. So I guess what is like a minimum benchmark? I, I don't know if that's the right way to frame it, but like, how do we avoid people going through pity? Let's say, oh, I regret not going to this event, which isn't really super useful. Like what yeah. is the benchmark of what a regret should be such that we can actually leverage that information? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. And, and I, I think that you're right that we're in public that, that some of the regrets could be performative in the way that, uh, but, but I think if you get the right people, it, it shouldn't be that way. Um, yeah, that, that it shouldn't be performative. I mean, it's sort of performative in the way that, you know, job interviews are in the sense that you're like, oh, what's your biggest weakness? Oh, I work too hard and I care too much, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it becomes kind of like a, it becomes kind of a joke. Um, I don't know if there is a, I don't know if there is a benchmark. I think that the way to recognize a regret in some ways is, is by looking at its endurance. So there probably are mistakes that I've made last week that I no longer remember, but there are things that I've screwed up 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that still bug me. That's telling me something that those kinds oh, of, those kinds of regrets are telling me what I value and they're instructing me to, um, on, on what to do differently. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting point. It, it's kind of like when you're going through ideas, we all have, uh, so many different ideas, but the ones that at least the framework that I've found useful is if it comes up three times over the next year or two, like that's probably something that you really want yeah, to stick Yeah, I think towards. that's a good, I think that's interesting. That's a, that's a, that's a, I think that's a, that's a to totally useful, it's a totally useful tool. There are things, you know, I think that successful living is, is, is thinking is certain stuff fades away and that's cool, but the stuff that keeps bubbling up, you got to pay attention to. Got it, got it. Um, well, Daniel, I, I'm curious, uh, as this last question, you know, you've studied human behavior for, for decades at this point. Um, how would you sum up what all humans need to live a fulfilling life? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just going to end with a banger there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think what, what people, I think what people need is, um, is essentially, um, purpose and they need, they need a sense of purpose. They need to know that they're doing something for a reason uh, and they need to be around people who they love and who love them. They need to have a life of, filled with people who they love and who love them. Just like that. Yeah. And I don't think no it's, regrets. I don't, you know, there's some nuance <laughs> beneath that, but ultimately that's it. Yeah. At a high level. Keeps it simple.
Beautiful. Well, where can people find you online? Obviously, you've got multiple books, but the latest one is Power of Regret, How Looking Backwards Moves Us Forward. You've also got the book When and Drive. Yeah. Um, you can just go to my website, which is danpink.com, D-A-N-P-I-N-K.com. Beautiful. All right, Dan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you guys for tuning in and uh, we'll have all of the links below. Check it out. Uh, thanks again, Dan. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the show. Hope you really enjoyed our guest today and that you took one thing valuable from our conversation. If you haven't already, I would love it if you could leave a quick rating or review on whichever network you're listening to the show and share this episode with one friend if you found it valuable. And if it's something that a friend, a family member, or just someone that you care about could find a little bit of insight from what you learned today. All right. Ciao.